Tonight we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 12. So you can open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 12. And as we come to 2 Kings chapter 12, we're in that historical book with these kings of the north and the south, the divided kingdom from 922 B.C. to 586 B.C., the ten tribes in the north, and then Judah and the hybrid with Benjamin joining them in the south. And we pick up the text tonight in chapter 12 with Jehoash, and he's the king, and Jehadiah is a priest, and they need to rebuild, the, they need to not rebuild the temple, they need to remodel the temple. The, the, the temple needs a, a makeover because um, Athaliah, the queen mother, who had seized the throne for about six or seven years and killed all the potential heirs, this is in Judah in the south there in Jerusalem where the temple was, Solomon's temple, she had seized power and done all these things, but uh, Jehoiadiah the king, excuse me, Jehoiadiah the priest had hidden one of the sons of the king. And when it came to time when the son was seven years of age, and that's Jehoash, with the support of the temple guard and whatnot, the people, they ordained him to be king at the age of seven. And so Jehoiadiah made a covenant with the guards to preserve the child and then make him king. They executed uh, Athaliah, which she deserved. She was executed for all of her evil. She was a relative of the house of Ahab and all that. It's just, they're all connected. It's kind of an ugly genealogy. I'll spare you the details. But she's out. And now as we come to chapter 12, the temple needed to be refurbished, remodeled, and that's a, that's a massive undertaking. And so we pick up the story where Jehoash is, is now the king and, and older. Jehoadiah the priest has influenced him for good. In fact, the entire time that Jehoadiah is alive, he influences Jehoash for good. And that's a key part of our story. And they have this project, and they need to refurbish the temple, and that's the context that we come into tonight. And so we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 12. In the seventh year of Jehu, that's the king in the north, Jehoash became king in Judah, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. So he lived 47 years. He became king at seven. Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoadiah the priest instructed him, but the high places were not taken away, the random places of worship that people made for themselves. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And Jehoash said to the priest, all the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring to the house of the Lord, let the priest take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. Now it was so by the 23rd year of King Jehoash, so he's, he's, he's 30 now, that the priest had not repaired the damages of the temple. So King Jehoash called Jehoiadiah the priest and the other priests, and he said, why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now, therefore, do not take any more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. In the New International Version, NIV, they give a better understanding of that, that they wouldn't attempt to do what they weren't capable of doing. Like, why isn't you tell your husband, don't you try and fix it? Let's get the contractor here for it. That's kind of the context of that right there. So verse 9, we read on. Then Jehoiadiah the priest took a chest bore a hole in its lid and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest who kept the door put there all the money brought into the house of the Lord. So it was whatever they saw 
whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, that the king's scribes and the high priests came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they gave the money which had been appointed into the hands of those who did the work and who had oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to the masons and stonecutters, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord for all that was paid out to repair the temple. However, there was not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, and any articles of gold or silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. It wasn't necessary. They weren't doing furniture. They were doing the the structural. But they gave it to the workmen, verse 14, and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men in whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. The money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priest. So that last verse gives us clarity that as they are remodeling and redoing the entire temple, the income that the priests lived off of as the Levites, according to the law of God, did not, was not disrupted. So they didn't lose their wages to repair the building. Like, in other words, like if you're doing a house remodel, you're not going to try and pull it off from like you want to get like a home equity line of credit to do that as opposed to your regular wages because that really puts you in jeopardy to drop 40000 from your regular income or 60000 or something like that. So that gives us context that the priest, they continue to have their income from their normal source of income, but these other guys were hired out who were experts, contractors, subcontractors to do the job and to do it right. And they did it so well that there was no accounting required of them and, and this, is, this is our whole scope of story. There's actually a little bit more because in the beginning, because we've got to get our context, when the giving was to take place, for our benefit, we see the, the, the distinction between three types of giving, and it all comes from the law of God. For the Jews, in a covenant with God. Remember, they're in a national covenant as a national people group, as a nation, an ethnic people group, and in a religious covenant with God. So they're very unique like that. And in that uniqueness, we can see there was three types of offerings that were received. There was the census offering, like basic tax, like a flat tax. Just like Mary and Joseph had to go down to, you know, Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus says, hey, we're going to census everybody and we're going to tax them because we know death and taxes are two sure things in the human experience. So that's like a flat tax, each man's census money. The assessment money more or less is related to, if we can think, almost like wealth building, so a higher tax bracket. Like, hey, these, you know, five got 10, they pay a higher tax. The two got four, they pay a lower tax, that type of thing. And then what they chose to give, the free will offering. So we see a variation, but if you break it down into two categories, one is it's an obligation, and the other one is it's a choice. So the two were an obligation, like taxes, and the other is a choice contextually. So we'll come back to that in application. Now, in this context, the first time they tried to do this, they turned this over to Jehadiah and the priesthood, and they were unsuccessful. One can only imagine the drama, and it would have been drama, when the seven-year-old king grows up and he's getting older, and he's now, you know, he's high school senior age, and then he's college starting quarterbacks, 22 age type of thing, and Finally, you know, he's at 30, and he's like, hey, you know, we don't know if he's intimidated because Je- Jehodiah raised him unto the Lord, taught him the law of God, and all these things, but it's like, 
he has to go to his mentor and say, like, what's going on? You've received money indefinitely, would actually would seem no accounting of it, and there is no reverberation, renovation taking place. What's happening? And he said, so it's a test of his leadership, and he says, look, no more, no more extra income for this. That's done, and don't you try and do it now because you're not capable of doing it. So we need, to, we need to reboot this whole, we need to recalibrate this whole thing, all right? So you guys are off, you're, we're letting you guys off, and I'm bringing in my people and my scribes, and we're going to do it this way, and they'll come and do an accounting to the king's office, and we'll make sure that the numbers match up, the metrics are right, and it's all good. And that's what happened. So really, contextually, the people had been generous, and we, we see historically in the Bible that the people are generous, both Old and New Testament but like all of us, if we don't feel that, that the leadership is competent and capable of what we entrust to them, you know, like we lose confidence, whether it's a, it's a stock we've invested in or taxes we pay in California or any other state. If we don't like the governor and we think they mismanage our funds, you know, it's like we're kind of begrudging to pay our taxes. We're like, these guys, you know, like it's get you going at the dinner table, unless your relatives think otherwise, and then you don't get going at the dinner table, hopefully, Right. So we all have an opinion, and when we're paying stuff, if we don't feel like we're getting a return on it properly, we're like, well, you know, huh, that's just like how it is. And it goes the same way in ministry. And believe me, being a senior pastor of three different churches and being on staff of two large churches, everyone has opinions, and I have one too. Just know that. I always had an opinion at Calvary Costa Mason, at Calvary Vista, and I still do. But I need to look in the mirror and just take care of my own stewardship. Yes and amen. So there was mismanagement with the finances from Jehudiah's crew the first time around. Listen, make no mistake about it. It was mismanaged. There was mismanagement and in the metrics and the accounting, and it just cannot go that way. There, there, it's just not, it's bad business, and it's definitely bad business in Jesus' name. So that's our whole context. So tonight what we're going to look at is faith and finances. As we're in all these economic difficulties globally and nationally, and even our own state, massive migration, money leaving the state, these are the studies that God has given us. And it's his timing with his word verse by verse. And keep that in mind. It's actually a topic I really enjoy teaching on now quite a bit because I've learned in 60 years, it's not about the money, it's about the stewardship lessons that prepare you for eternity, and that's what I'm excited about as we look at this text tonight. So, faith and finances. So, we've covered the context. So I'm going I'm to say three words tonight that are three points, and I'll try and cover them all equally. The first word is giving, the second word is metrics, and the third word is faithfulness. There's, there's other topics when Sam taught the men this morning and John, he's like, hey, he had like 10 things he could have taught, but he's like, I'm going to focus on these. And I would say the same thing. There's a lot of different economic topics, financial topics in this passage I just read. But I want to focus on these big three, giving, metrics, and faithfulness. Verse 4, we start with the giving. As I mentioned in the overall historical context, for them, it really was two types of giving. The people, so we're looking at the people who gave. We're going to get different characters in the story, but here it's the, the perspective that we're looking at, the angle, is the people giving. And as I just mentioned before we started to say, this church is extremely generous. So this really is about, not about us having shortfall or needs of anything. It's about how we can continue to be fruitful with the entirety of our life 
Because finances always reflect our heart anyways, and so it's the topic is giving. They had the tax they were required to pay and the money they gave out of choice, just like all of us. Well, every December I start getting ready as a pastor, thinking administratively, I'm looking at Don over here for accounting. We've got to get our 1099s. We've got to get our W-2. That's done with payroll. We get the W-2s. But we've got to get the 1099s ready for people like Danny Donnelly and the worship leaders and stuff like that. We've got to get our tithe statements ready for you because America is such a great country that you get a tax benefit for giving to nonprofits which really benefits churches in America, which holds us more accountable to the Lord because most churches worldwide don't get any benefit like that. In fact, your lives are threatened when you give to the church in more cases than not, at least 40 countries. If your relatives find out you're giving to the local church, they probably want to kill you. So what makes America so great and from our founding fathers is when you give to the church, still nonprofits, or you want to give a humane society as well, whatever, you know, if it's a nonprofit, you get the tax break from it. So that holds us accountable to give you the tithe statements of what you've given this year. And so all year long when we're doing deposits from tithes and offerings, we do it monthly. We actually do it weekly. We enter the data. It's entered in. Donna does it as our accountant. It goes in. Uh, we receive the offerings with two eyes or more. We prepare the deposits. They go to the bank. She does that. Our treasurer, Brian Jameson, comes in every month on Donna's reconcile. He does a final reconcile, shows our net worth to the penny, okay, to the penny. And as I mentioned on Tuesday night, from a personal level, I always want to be prepared for the governor to show up and not like us, as well as the president to show up and not like us. So I always want to make sure when we open the books that we can give an account to the penny from the very first day of this church 17 years ago, which we can. And when you bear in mind foreign currency and going to Chile and 500 pesos to the dollar, we can still reconcile to the peso. Because, you know, Jesus said it best when it comes to giving. Render to God the things that are God, and to Caesar the things that are Caesar. And you'll find in church history and in your own personal life, if you're good with Caesar, you're probably going to be... If you're good with Caesar, it'll help you be good with the Lord. That's why the Bible tells us to render taxes to whom taxes are due. And you want to be above reproach. I don't want to live in fear of Caesar over taxes and tithes and money. In fact, I don't want to live in fear of Caesar at all. But if he comes after me, I don't want him to come after me because I've been negligent or not faithful as a steward of the Lord with the laws of the land being a nonprofit. I want to make sure I'm above reproach. And so do you when you file your taxes. But as I've studied taxes, the vast majority of tax laws are favorable for you to keep money and make more money so the government can make money from your money. We're all afraid of the IRS. We're all afraid of them coming after you. And it's just one of those things that like mold, it makes you afraid, but when you realize most mold is not that expensive to fix, but it keeps people from buying houses, stuff like that, people think the same way about the IRS and mold. They kind of go together, and you shouldn't be afraid of either, especially if you're being above reproach. There's a lot of good laws in the tax code that are favorable for people who serve the Lord and are wise with the Lord's resources. But Jesus said, and this is the New Testament application, when it comes to giving, give to Caesar what's his and give to God what's his. And as I said earlier, historically, in the Old Testament, God's people were very generous. When they took up offerings in the wilderness wandering, and even here, the people were extremely generous. God's people are, tend to be very generous. In the New Testament, in the Great Famine, during the time of Caesar, they took up offerings, and we read like the Macedonians gave out the abundance of their poverty, and they, they had these offerings, and they, they all gave us a purpose in their heart. And those who sowed bountifully reaped bountifully, those who sowed sparingly reaped sparingly. But they gave, and it was to the glory of Christ. 
You think about the church in general, the history of the church, there's a good reason more hospitals in America are named after a denomination or a Christian organization than not. Because it's like Presbyterians with Hogue Hospital or whatever, like public education was the same way. This is the beauty and the legacy of the church is improving cultures and societies and being giving. The world is filled with takers, but God's love the world that he gave his son. And as his son works in our life, he moves us from being takers and moved by fear to being givers and moved by faith. Now, to give, though, this brings us uh, another topic that's like a subtopic related to it is to work. Because you can't give if you don't work. So we have money in, money out. We have a spreadsheet. We'll get to that in metrics in a minute. But we go out and we generate income and then we spend that income and so from our income we give that's how it works for the vast majority of all of us and then the you know it's been said the poor lives paycheck to paycheck and there's nothing against the poor sam and i talked about this the other night he said you know when you get passionate about talking about finances if someone's poor they could feel inferior it's not meant to be that way i've bought gas with pennies as you know paul said he learned through his poverty and his wealth that he can do all things through christ who strengthens him There's neither virtue in being poor and dressing sloppy or virtue in being rich and dressing sharp like you're the king of Fashion Island. There's virtue in neither. So we need to establish that. But given a choice, most of us would rather pay our bills on time than be poor. Yes and amen? Yeah, for sure. You know, like that's just... And the Bible says the Old Testament, they're to be the head, not the tail. And the debtor's a slave to the lender. And so all those things are written for our admonition. So the more we believe them and apply them, the better for us. And if if you're a giver you're going to be a conduit by which God can work because God's a giver. God gave us the universe. God gave us life. God gave us his son. He gave us the creation. He gave us the salvation. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to fulfill the ministries. God's all about giving. And so he's going to work that in our life. So we have work that generates income. And then ideally, we should be tithing. We had 15 men here this morning. I asked them, how many of you retired? And six of them said they retired. And then I asked the retired men what they'd say to the other men that were here and across the board, they all said they would tithe is the most important thing is tithing. That is the single most important thing, and I completely agree. And I said for 15 years I didn't have enough money to tithe. And since then, I've listened to people tell me they don't have enough money to tithe. And all I can tell you is you can't afford not to tithe. Only because the blessings of the Lord are in tithing. Now, this is a tithing church. So I'm really talking to people that already know this because, like, I, I know you're very generous, like, People are blown away when they look at our church and what we're able to do. This church is extremely generous, but we understand the tithe is the one thing God says in the Old Testament, put them to the test and he'll pour out the blessings. And when you acknowledge the Lord with your first fruits and you say the first 10% as a starting point is the Lord's, God will always honor that. He'll never not honor that. And by the way, if you have economic trouble after tithing, you feel better about it. Because you'll feel like, well, maybe it's because of my own doing. Because I've been living off credit cards or living beyond my means or I refuse to adjust to inflation in my lifestyle or whatever. Like, if you tithe, you know, at least you've covered your foundation. When the difficult, when the famine comes, if you're a tither, you face it with greater sense of security in your walk with the Lord. You'll feel better about it. Your wife's like, what? And she's like, honey, we, we've been faithfully tithing. We've been sowing bountifully. This is the Lord. It's a test. It's all good. So that's one good thing about tithing. 
The second thing I talked about on Tuesday, I mentioned again here, is saving. So you work to produce income, then you tithe, and then you save. And if you study anyone that makes money or people, again, the, the poor go from paycheck to paycheck. The middle class, which most of us are, the middle class works to, to own things that they think are assets but are really liabilities, and they generally go from paycheck to paycheck. Your real net worth is if you didn't have your job, and how can you live, and what kind of lifestyle can you live on if you don't have your job? Susan Branch is here. She's extremely smart. Steve Williams is here. There's, there's quite a few people in this room that are very successful with finances and that own properties and stuff like that. And, and they'll tell you that the first 10% is the Lord's and then the next 10% you should be saving. And this is what we say about saving 10% of your monthly income. Don't tell, I don't need to hear from you how you can't do it. Anyone that's, that's successful financially will say, don't ever say you can't. Tell me how you're going to do it. And I'm going to say the same thing if you're going to step out and be a missionary, go out in faith with the Lord. Don't tell me about the obstacles and the giants land. Tell me how you're going to do it. Because we always find a way. That's what Solomon said in Proverbs. A wise man scales the city wall. Don't tell me about the can't. Tell me what you can't. Tell me how you're going to do it. And take it before the Lord and look for solutions. If you want to find a way, you'll find a way. That's the reality of life. You follow the money trail. You follow the time trail. And they reveal exactly who we are all the time in, in total honesty. So you save 10%, because if you can save this month, you'll save next month, which means overall you'll be a saver, and that means you can be a greater sower in what you do. And you can, when, you're a, when you're a worker, a tither, a saver, a sower, then you're a grower. A worker, a tither, a saver, a sower, and a grower. If you have money working for you through passive income, you're generating more money, and that allows you to do more for the Lord. And I use Samaritan's Purse as a great example. Samaritan's Purse is not dumb luck. When they organize doctors to go to Pakistan to do relief, medical relief and stuff like that, when they organize people to go do tornado cleanups, when they pack up these shoeboxes of 300 and get them from point A to point B to Zimbabwe, Botswana, and these other places in the world, they are very intentional and deliberate in what they're doing. And if they were spending all that they made, they wouldn't be able to keep on doing what they're doing. And even as we want a double portion, went from 150 boxes to 300 boxes in the last year. That's a double portion. I'm sure Franklin Graham sits there in Boone, North Carolina, thinking how he can double portion what he's doing with the Lord. That's the reality of it. So on this giving, you're working, you're tithing, you're saving, you're sowing, and you're growing. I want want to grow... It's been said of all the greatest men of God that I have studied and women that I know, from Pastor Chuck to Hudson Taylor and others, the older they got, the more clueless they were in a lot of things about what God's doing, but the more generous they were with their entire amount of wealth. Where the tithe is a start point. It's never about the money. It's about the heart and trusting in God. So be a giver. Giving again. They... There's an absolute, you have to do this, like pay the taxes in the state of California and IRS, and the money it costs you to live, your mortgage, your rent, these utilities, and all this stuff. But then you're like, what do you do? What's your, what do you purpose in your heart to bring to the house of the Lord? That's you and the Lord, but I'll tell you, the tithe is always the right start. And saving. Saving gives you more options. Living paycheck to paycheck, you, you, you have less options. The second topic tonight is metrics. We find this in verse 11 excuse me, 10 and 11, where once Jehoiada, excuse me, once Jehoash got involved, said, no, you guys, we tried that. We need different people running the show here. So we have a new head coach. He's going to come in is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to bring the king's scribes and the high priests, verse 10, 
and they're going to come up and they put the money in bags and they're, they're going to count the money to the penny, like decimal points. They're going to count the money. I was reading, reviewing some notes on a book I read last year. I have certain books I review. They're in my phone, my notes, and I review them over, well, I have more books now that I've read, so it takes about two weeks to go through the review. But they're saying that the more money you handle, the more important it is you know exactly where all of it's going. So what so often happens with an increase of money is that if you have an increase of money, if you're not prepared and trained by the Lord in faithful stewardship, poco y poco, little by little, when you, if he just dumps on you, you don't really know how to handle it. And so that's why it's so important to be faithful to him who has her who has more will be given. And we, the parables of Jesus are very profound with money. It's literally the context of money, and they're lessons for eternity. That's why they're even more profound, because they're just not about money and time. They're about lessons for eternity and what we'll be doing in eternity based upon our faithfulness with finances and our faith in time. But it's easy to lose track. So even if you get like a $1,000 Christmas, but it's like, oh, oh, we can buy this for the grandkids or this and that. Listen, the more money you get, the more important it is to know where it's going. Like, that's how that works. So metrics is really important because metrics is just a fancy way of saying numbers. And we need to know the numbers. See, the money came in and they counted it to the penny. Also, they had oversight to then disperse the money. This is their balance sheet. This amount came in, this amount went out. The carpenters, the masons, this, this is a family doing a remodel and you've got contractors and subcontractors and is the project on time and are they meeting the stuff? Are we discussing that it's going to cost more because we're changing the floors we're doing in the temple? We're going to change this paneling over here in the inner court. It's going to cost more for these. It says they had to get supplies. It's like they're doing a home remodel. If you've ever done a home remodel, this is it. Your contractor needs money to go get the stuff. He needs the time to put it in. There's a staff available. They're working four projects at the same time. Where I get the plumbing guys over here, these guys, and these guys are coming in here. Are they going to work? You know, it's, a, it's an orchestra. It's all working a certain way. That's, it's money in, money out. This is a balance sheet right here. And it's a lot of money. And it's in Jesus' name balance sheet for the temple of God. This isn't Gavin Newsom's tax fund or the federal government's tax fund. This is the kingdom of God in its context here. And numbers are very important. Numbers, I'm learning, are science. There's no sub subjectivity with numbers. Numbers are objective. If you brought this much in and spent this much in the month, you're either plus or you're in the black or in the red. You're plus or negative. And the funny thing about the numbers that I've learned, and most of you know this, you can only cut your overhead by so much, right? Like if you're trying to save money, especially in the inflation era that we're in, where everything's 20% more now than it was a year ago, pretty much across the board. It's hard. Who wants to curtail their lifestyle by 20% like none of us in this room? In fact, I'd hope, I like to, like, you know, you know, as I get older, I kind of like to expand that lifestyle, right? So we're just being honest. But the numbers have to work. You have to make those numbers work or you go out of business. The numbers have to work, and that's the metrics. Whether it's month to month, week to week, your kids going to college, investment properties, stocks, bonds, cryptocurrency, the numbers don't lie. And a, a, a thing that's important, like, okay, so there's, there's a, I have a phrase, it's BK, is beneficial knowledge. And when you're dealing with money, you need to know the numbers, and beneficial knowledge is what the numbers are telling you. There's worthless knowledge. Like you, you know all kinds of worthless facts. 
but information that's helpful because the Bible talks about in Proverbs knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge is the metrics. That's, that's knowledge. Those are the facts. This is the numbers. They don't lie. They're scientific. Understanding is what do they mean in our life right now? In a marriage, with my current job, how secure is my job? How insecure is my job? How favorable is the job environment? How likely might have this job? How long have I had this job? Job security, job insecurity. Am I getting knowledge about the company that means I'm going to be unemployed in four months? That's beneficial knowledge. And understanding is, okay, then I better get my hustle on because I'm unemployed in four months. I better figure out what I'm doing next. Knowledge, understanding, what am I doing next? Wisdom is what you're doing next. So the book of Proverbs is so practical about knowledge. That's metrics. And Solomon, who's more, who's more numbers than Solomon? When you read the historical record of Solomon, all of his building projects, all that he did, his military defense, his wealth building, all that stuff, the gold shields. Solomon was a numbers guy, moving those massive things to build the temple, the workforce of bringing the wood down. Can you imagine like the capital expenditures investment to move all that wood from Tyre down the Mediterranean Sea over 60 miles up to 3,500 square feet to 3,500 feet altitude and Jerusalem to build the temple? Those are numbers. You're not guessing how many people you need to move the wood from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It's weight mass ratio. It's numbers. It's metrics. It's knowledge, what it means, and wisdom is how to get it done. And so the metrics here, to me, are fascinating because there's a job, there's, there's, a, there's a job that needs to be done. The temple needs to be repaired from what Athaliah did to it. It's God's temple. The project stalled, new, new people in charge, turning it around, and we have, we have to know exactly how much money's come in. We have to know exactly how much we're paying out to these guys doing the work. The numbers don't lie. In fact, it says in Proverbs 27, 23, to know the state of your flocks. It's super important to know the state of your flocks. And what I've begun to do in recent times, I've always done money log, where I know the cash in, cash flow of our household, that, you know, we're not caught off guard by things. But Essentially, I've taken the principle of what we do at the church with the monthly reconcile, our net worth to the penny. And by the way, when I came in this morning, Jameson had come in on Thursday and done the latest uh, net worth of the church. I had an idea in my mind what it was, and I was quite close. But that printout shows to the penny. And I do the same thing now with my personal finances, our wealth management, and my dad's estate. Because it's important. Because you pray about decisions you're making financially. We're praying about, are you praying about getting a new car? Are you praying about you selling your car? Are you right side up or upside down? What's the Kelly Blue Book value? Do, if you're thinking you can sell it and make $2,000, can you? Do you know the Kelly Blue Book? Did you take the time? Do you, do these, is this dealer going to buy it? Like, like, numbers are important. And it's interesting with money that I've learned. People are often ignorant and lazy and scared with money. And I speak from my own experience. The reason many people have financial troubles is because they're ignorant, lazy, and scared. Don't be scared to know the numbers. What you don't know is your liability with your money, and what you do know is your asset. So you need to know. You need to know what you're bringing in. You need to know what's going out. And if you can't cut your expenses or you pretty much cut them the most you can, then you have to think about how you're going to expand your income and how you can get your hustle on. And that's really what a lot of people are doing right now. Like, Many of you retired, so it's not as applicable, but there's young people here. I was speaking with someone in our congregation about six weeks ago. She's an immigrant, a, a wife, a mother of two children, works a full-time job, and her and her husband are getting by. 
as best they can to stay and continue to live in Orange County with all the high expenditures that we all understand why so many of our kids and others have moved out of state. They're doing the best they can. And I was talking, they're like, well, how are you just like, oh, I got, a, I got my side hustle on. What's your side hustle? She began to tell me, like, what she's got going. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm getting this jewelry. We're doing this stuff. We're doing it online. And it's like, probably the greatest capital on planet Earth is ideas that you can come up with when the Lord's guiding you. But I've really learned the numbers don't lie. So we need beneficial knowledge because reality is interest, inflation, and investments. Right? So three big eyes right now, right? Reality for all of us in Southern California is interest, what we're paying, what we're getting, inflation, the loss of value of our dollar as we spend it, and investments if they're the right kind. So know your metrics, WG. I encourage you, know your balance sheet, know the numbers, know in, know what's going out. All of it, I even look, I got it right here, all of it is highlighted. Danny was highlighted before you said all in. It's all of it right there, and that was the last thing coming up here. All in, I spent the last couple of years educating myself on global finances, financial trends, real estate, Florida real estate, U.S. real estate, global real estate, all these things. I studied cryptocurrency for quite a while and said no. I studied the stock market and said interesting. I studied real estate and said absolutely yes and amen. That's how I went. I learned to dance on YouTube. And I learned how to make money on YouTube. It's not that hard. Luke Call said, said to me, just listen to some podcasts. I read some books. I'm a high school dropout. And I took time to learn how it works. To know the numbers. It's like surfing big pipeline. You don't just charge big pipeline. You paddle out at the right time on the right board for the right swell direction. You know exactly what wave you're looking for. And then you get the biggest barrel ever and one of the greatest thrills the human experience can ever give you. But you don't just randomly do it. You know tide, wind, crowd, swell direction, which one? It's just another form of metrics. And in this context, faith and finances, they had to know exactly how much came out, and they had to give an account how much came in and exactly how much went out. And no one's going to look out for your money more than you are. No one's going to look out for your investments more than you are. And no one's going to give an account before the throne of Jesus Christ for the money other than you. Now, i got to give an account for your tithe, so I get the double. So does Sam, right? And that's okay. I'm comfortable doing that. Last thing now, faithfulness. So we've talked about the giving, the context, the giving, the metrics, and now the faithfulness. It says they were so faithful, they didn't require an account of the contractor. So these are different people, right? The people gave, then these people were in charge over the project. They received it to the penny. They gave it out. They had to give an account to the king, Jehoash. And then there's some people they gave it to, but once they gave it to them, it's like, hey, here's the $40,000, get the job done. They never require an account for it. Think how faithful you have to be after they just had total mismanagement for years on this project, that you're so good at your job, you're so faithful at showing up early, showing up on time, with the right attitude, doing a great job, doing, showing up for the job, and being efficient and effective with the job. I mean, is there anything more beautiful than a contractor who does the job on time and right? We have a contractor that works for us in Florida on multiple properties. Hey, you get someone at Airbnb, and something's not right, and you can get a guy there in 20 minutes... You just comp the meal for them to go out and get dinner. But you can have someone who shows up in 20 minutes to figure out what's wrong with the oven. It wasn't plugged in. But you still need that person to do that. The person who bids the job, shows up for the job, and does the job right. 
And now he's, he lives in one of our properties. Isn't that wonderful? He did all this in design, a new kitchen, countertops, count, all this stuff. And he's the guy renting there now. See, that's how it works with win-win. If you, you can have the things in life you want if you want to help others get what they want in life. If you treat others with respect, good things will happen. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. And you treat people with respect and you do a good job. The funny thing about that contractor is he owned a bunch of properties and lost them all in 08 and 09. And he loves our family. He loves Leah. He loves Jacob. He loves the grandkids. He loves, he, he loves Timmy because that's actually Timmy's house. He loves Luke and Belle because he's done stuff. He, he loves Hannah. Oh, he loves Nate and Hannah like there's no tomorrow. He's a good man. And we never worry about it when he's doing the job. That's how we want to be women and men in this church. You asked six men who are retired for life tips in here this morning. Boy, we could write. It's just incredible what they had to share. Show up on time. Show up early. Do the job. Do a good job. When I was over at Big Calvary the other day, John Schubeck's daughter came in. She's at Calvary High School. She had her Calvary cheer sweatshirt on. I was like, oh, Hannah did cheer. Class of 08. You know, Calvary, you know, Calvary Eagles. And, and I, as soon as I see a, a Z generation that's 16 or 17, I just immediately want to tell them things. Because they'll go to college and learn how to get a job and a career, but no one will tell them how to make money and keep money and manage money. And I just want to give them life tips in Jesus' name. I go to churches like, what would you tell my son right now? Tithe and save 10% every month. Trust in the Lord. But I saw saw her and I was like, oh, I go, listen, I'm going to tell you one thing. But then I had to tell her more things. But I'm going to tell you one thing right now. When you work where you work, work for the company. Work for the people. Don't work for the paycheck. Because the person that works for the company serves the Lord and shines for the Lord, and they'll probably have upward movement in the company with the Lord. And if not, it still is good fruit when you move on. But if you just work for the paycheck, you're not going to be fulfilled in life. You're not going to have a purpose in life. It's going to be a dead-end job, and you're going to be miserable. Yoke yourself and marry yourself to the company and the people and show loyalty until the day the Lord says, No mas, hermano. Hijo, hija, you just give it everything you got. That's these guys. Can you imagine Jehoash? He's in the palace, and, and someone's like, oh, Jehoash, i got to tell you, those com- dude, the masonaries, like, what's, what's the, what, dude, that's, you watch those guys work? They're the first ones here. They're the last ones leaving. You're, wor- you're worried about, like, your holiday bonus. Those guys are doing the work. Get out of here. Like that's, to, to be so faithful, they don't even require an account from the invoices. Like, man, you earn that by who you are when you came to work, by how you respond to those over you, those underneath you, and those beside you. You're the, you're the 1% that's going to make it no matter what, no matter where you are. Last night, my wife and I were out at Fast Island walking around, and we went to a pressed, you know, the pressed, healthy ice cream things, and there's two girls in there working at like 15, a group of like 15 people in there. And this girl that served us couldn't have been like, she's like 19 maybe. And I thought, you know, this girl could be doing a lot of things on a Friday night in Orange County. And all these people with all this money here at Fashion Island and walking around, she's probably getting paid slightly more than minimum wage. This could be my daughter, daughter's 10 years ago. This could be, this could be your, your daughters, <laughs> younger people. Like, <laughs> this is Lucy, Brandon. You know, like, this, this is them. And that's an opportunity. So I thought, you know what? Like, 
I'm going to give a big tip to these girls because they're, they're not getting paid enough, and I want to invest in their future. And here's the thought about that. Why are you so bad? I'm going back to sewing, but this is like just being faithful and encouraging people that are going for it. These girls are working on a Friday night. We just came from the outlet mall on Wednesday, and nobody's working. Everything is 60% off apparel in every store except Nike. 60% off in December. They're, they can't staff the people. I go into Nike, I go, how's your supply chain? And the guy goes, hey, because they didn't have anything on sale, so obviously people are still buying Nike. I go, how's your supply chain? Because that's how you, knowledge, BK, beneficial knowledge. Where are we going in 2023? I want to know. How's Nike? How's your supply chain? He goes, he goes, we can't accept product. We don't have people to unload it. We're turning away trucks. So that means Nike is losing money on the table because they can be bringing that stuff in and selling it, but they can't find anyone to unload it. See, that's what I mean by beneficial knowledge. What is, yes, we're looking at 2023. Hmm, Nike, nothing's discounted, but they can't get all the product in. These guys can't get it staffed. That goes back to the metrics. But what about faithfulness? I'll tell you what I did. My wife did the same thing, and you should do it. Thank anyone or everyone who's working right now, especially in those kind of jobs. Be the blessing. Show them Christ. Show them, Jesus, how you respond when it's busy. Show them your patience. I pray for patience, and I get these opportunities. Show them Jesus and how you respect them and the dignity of their work. Let them know that working for press juice at 819 is an honorable thing and serving the people is an honorable thing. And Jesus appreciates it and a a healthy society appreciates it and we believe in them. And I don't sow into people like that free will because I have to or because it's going to benefit my grandkids, but it will. See, when you sow into people like that and you step into eternity and you're that kind of person that's faithful with the Lord, you will be in eternity and your grandkids will go for their first job and someone's going to walk in to their workplace when people are being rude and they're going to bless them like you blessed someone else 20 years before. That's how it works. What you put in is what you get back. This is faith and finances. This is life. This is the universe and the way it works. So we want to be faithful. We want to do the job. Do it right. We want to show competency, we want to grow in efficiency, and we want to be Christ-honoring in all that we do. Whatever we do, we do this unto the Lord. We want people to see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on display, wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, whether we're the consumer or the server. And again, we have retired people here, but we work for Jesus Bring Jesus to the company, to the people of the company. And no matter how bad the morale is, don't dumb down to it. I mentioned this this morning. I love to watch bad football teams in December. Because you can tell which ones have good management and leadership. Because you can tell which ones are still playing hard, even though the season's over. Who's playing like they're fighting for the playoffs when they've won two games all year? Because you find when you live long enough, those are the teams that next year are really good. The teams that don't wait till. August to work on 2023. They're working on 2023 by how they're playing right now in December 2022. That's how we want to be. That's the faithfulness, to be faithful. And we see in these parables with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, who then is that good and faithful servant whom his master finds doing what was entrusted to him, being faithful. And then also in the uh, Gospel of Luke with the parable of the minas where the one that took five and made ten, not Matthew's account in 25, but Luke's account in chapter 19, it says, you are faithful with ten things, I give you ten cities. So the one who has more is given. 
And in those parables of minas where two gets four and five gets ten or one gets buried and doesn't even get the interest on the return on the, on the currency, it gets taken from them and given to the one who had ten. Her who has more will be given. That's faithfulness rewarded. But here's the thing, and this is the key, and this is the absolute key thought for all of us tonight. It's not about the money. It's not even about the temporal. It's about the eternal. Because when you look at what Jesus teaches about what we're doing in heaven, the greatest insights on what we can be expecting to do in heaven is based upon our faithfulness with finances on earth. 